this is the workshop entitled, Why is the New England Journal of Medicine Publishing on Prayer? And they haven't published a lot, but it's interesting that they even address the topic at all. So we will, we will look at that. Um, before we begin, I wouldn't dare talk about prayer without having a prayer. So let's just um, bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless uh, this time. Our Father in heaven, as we meet together uh, this afternoon, we invite your Holy Spirit to be here. And just as we are beginning to realize your calling on us as physicians and dentists and healthcare practitioners, I just pray that we will learn to use the tools that you have given us, and that as we discuss this hour, that we will learn how to effectively pray. So we just pray, as your disciples did, that you would teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going to make a copy of the New England Journal article, but <clears throat> published um, in 2004, got at the bedside. Um, not really a research article, but a, a, just a testimony of a physician, Jerome Grotman, who gives his story about how a patient who was dying of cancer asked him to have a prayer. And it goes through all the things that he's very uncomfortable with this, although he considers himself a somewhat spiritual person. He really doesn't have a prayer life and really didn't know what to say. Um, wondered whether it was appropriate, whether it was ethical, and just talked about how um, physicians have a lot of clout and a lot of power over patients and whether or not we should even be engaged in this in the first place. Um, but what this illustrates is in one of the most premier journals, um, there's a recognition that prayer might be something that uh, pertains to patients. Those of you who were at Dr. Nedley's uh, session last uh, evening, um, he put up an interesting slide. I was going to put that as well, but um, since it's been covered, I haven't. But over 50% of patients pray regarding their health. And the vast majority of them would actually welcome, in, in a national survey, the vast, vast majority would actually welcome their physician having a prayer with them. So I'm going to show a little video clip just to kick off this topic on prayer. And I don't know if any of you saw this, but this is a news program. Hopefully it'll play. It's going to just stream off of YouTube. Well, the reason I prayed for people is because early on in my training, I found out 
and feelings. But even his strong faith couldn't prepare him for what would happen the day Jack Martin walked into the Palm Beach Gardens emergency room. So I drove to the Gardens Hospital, went in, got my wallet, and saw him for the massive heart attack. For 40 minutes, doctors and nurses in the ER tried to revive him. When they couldn't get his heart started again, they called for Dr. Crandall, who was doing rounds in the hospital at the time. And as I entered the emergency room, it was like a war zone. Here was this lifeless body on a stretcher. The doctor couldn't do anything and could only confirm what everyone already knew. Jeff was dead. He had gone almost an hour without a heartbeat, and his body was starting to decompose. Face, his arms, his legs were pitch black with death. And I said, well, let's just call the code. Let's end it, because there's no life left. As Dr. Crandall turned to leave, he says he got another call. This time, a call from God to pray. A voice told me, turn around and pray for that man. And I looked down at that body, and I said, Lord, what can I pray for this man? He's gone. All of a sudden, these words came from my mouth. Father God. Father God, I cry out for this man's soul, Lord. If he does not know you as his Lord and Savior, raise him from the dead now. Despite protests from doctors and nurses who were preparing Jeff's body for the morgue, Dr. Crandall insisted they shot him one more time. So that doctor came over with those paddles, blasted that man, and all of a sudden, instantly, a perfect heartbeat appeared on that monitor. The stomach started moving. The um, it goes on a little bit, but for some reason it's pausing, and I think that's a good place to pause. Actually, um, as I looked at this video, which I got from my brother-in-law, Bob, I looked at it about five times trying to figure out, well, is this real? Is this not real? Um, is this something that the devil can do is raise people from the dead, um, or is it really from God? Um, this doesn't happen in my practice so far praying with patients. There's been times I've silently prayed that prayer as the patient's dying on the table as I'm working on them. But what I wanted to use this video clip to illustrate is that prayer um, in the healthcare arena has just become a very popular thing. It's throughout the medical journals. We're going to look at a th few more instances. Um, it's in the lay press. It's out there in the media. It's been in Newsweek and Time. Um, all of a sudden, there's an explosion in this. So medical journals have looked at prayer. Let's go through a couple. Back in 1988, um, an article in the Southern Medical Journal was a somewhat controlled trial where, again, heart patients were either prayed for or not prayed for. They all signed an informed consent that it would be okay to have intercessory prayer. They didn't know if they were being prayed for or not. There was a group of people that agreed to pray for these patients that never met them, weren't part of the healthcare team, that were just outside another institution. And um, the finding of this trial was that the controlled patients required um, um, more ventilatory assistance, antibiotics, diuretics, and, the, and more frequently than the patients that were in the intercessory prayer group. So this kind of sparked off um, a lot of other trials that were all of a sudden considering the effects of prayer just like a clinical trial. Another one, the effects of remote uh, retroactive intercessory prayer. This was done in Israel. I just found this to be a crazy study. 
what they decided that if God can answer prayer, God knows who's going to be prayed for. So they actually picked a group of patients on a chart review, had a group pray for the patients, had another group of chart review patients that they didn't pray for, and then they went back to look and see which one had the better outcome. And in this trial, and this was all retroactive, patients were long gone out of the hospital, um, they found that there was a, a statistically significant improvement in the patients that were prayed for. So they wanted to determine whether remote retroactive intercessory prayer said for a group of patients with a bloodstream infection had an effect on their outcomes. And they looked at 3,393 patients between 1990 and 1996, and the only intervention that um, in July 2000 patients were randomized to the control group or the intervention group, and they got remote, remote retroactive intercessory prayer um, for the well-being and full recovery of the intervention group. The length of stay in the hospital, the duration of fever were significantly shorter in the intervention group than in the control group. And I wish I'd done this study. It's uh, pretty uh, easy to do, but I'm still kind of skeptical. Um, this looks like any other clinical trial you'd see reported in the literature, um, looking at all their, their data. And again, their assessment was is that remote retroactive intercessory prayer can improve outcomes in patients with a bloodstream infection. This intervention is cost effective, probably has no adverse effects, and should be considered for clinical practice. <laughs> so further studies may determine the most effective form of this intervention and its effect on other severe conditions and may clarify its mechanism. Since then, there's been a whole slew of other articles that have been published, a lot better controlled trials, and all the rest of them have been pretty much negative in regards to prayer. So we're talking about something that doesn't, that's gotten a little bit of interest in the literature and then in the more better controlled trials has kind of been um, debunked a little bit. So interpretation on here in this Lancet article called the Mantra 2 trial, um, looked at music, imagery, touch, and prayer as all adjuncts to interventional cardiac care. It seems to be cardiologists really are interested in prayer. Um, the interpretation is that neither mass prayer nor um, meditation, imagery, touch, or prayer therapy significantly improve clinical outcome after elective cath or percutaneous coronary intervention. And the prayer group down here in the bottom, you see really no statistical significance between the two groups. So we all, I think everyone here, believes that prayer makes a difference for patients, don't we? So how many would really expect, if we do a clinical trial, shouldn't we be seeing these two curves diverge like we do with any other therapy that's effective? And how are we going to explain that that's not happening? Well, another big trial in a reputable journal, the American Heart Journal, 2006, um, study, the, study of the therapeutic effects of intercessory prayer in cardiac bypass patients, a multicenter randomized trial of uncertainty and certainty of receiving intercessory prayer. So they divided this group up actually into three groups, um, group that were randomized to either receive prayer or not receive prayer, and then of the groups that received prayer, half of them were told that they were going to receive prayer, and then the other ones didn't know that they were going to receive prayer. And um, we'll look at this a little bit more. Another just looks like a regular clinical trial of any type of therapy that we would consider. They looked at over 3,000 patients, randomized 1,800, 600 were assigned to group one, which was uncertain intercessory prayer. 597 got uncertain, no intercessory prayer, and 601 were certain and got intercessory prayer. <clears throat> um, they tracked these patients, very few were lost to follow-up. 
Um, it goes through the inclusions and exclusions, but these are bas basically all patients that received heart surgery. When you look at their overall complication rates, you probably don't want to have heart surgery because it's pretty high. <laughs> but when you add these people all up, um, they matched them up pretty well. Um, then they looked at complications. The presence of any complication in the group that had the highest complication rate was the group that received intercessory prayer and knew they were being prayed for. So it's starting to get very confusing like in a lot of medical literature. Um, it's going to probably not be the medical literature that sorts this out for us. <clears throat> so they added these up. It turns out that the certain, being certain of receiving intercessory prayer is a relative risk of higher complications. Just like prior MI, history of COPD, congestive heart failure, or hypertension. So if you believe this study, you want to say, no, don't pray for me, um, at least in this hospital setting. So we're just kind of showing the balance. Um, I have about 20 other articles that have been in various journals that um, don't necessarily show that intercessory prayer is harmful, the vast majority of these trials, as well as big meta-analysis that are done like in the Cochrane database have just failed to show that there's a statistically significant um, outcome to patients that are prayed for. Now, all these trials are pretty much randomizing patients to being prayed for or not prayed for, but none of these trials that I've seen actually has a physician going in and praying with their patient or not praying with their patient, so that's something that's interesting. <clears throat> Prayer just seems to be something that's done in another room or another building outside the hospital, and it's not really uh, involving the patient other than they may or may not know that they were prayed for. Um, but that's just something to keep in mind. The medical literature initially was looking like prayer was beneficial, and with more big controlled trials, it's really failed to show a large benefit. So I'm going to move on to where you're starting to think, well, then why are we going to, why, why go on any further? Well, because science isn't really our ultimate answer. Um, so Psalms 107.20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Um, Ministry of healing. When Christ healed disease, he warned many of the afflictive ones, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. John 5, 14. Thus he taught that they had brought disease upon themselves by transgressing the laws of God, and that health could be preserved only by obedience. Ministry of healing, 118. Wonderful are the opportunities given to the guardians of the sick. In all that is done for the restoration of the sick, let them understand that the physician is seeking to help them cooperate with God in combating disease. Lead them to feel that at every step taken in harmony with the laws of God, they may expect the aid of divine power. So as we just look at some principles already out of the ministry of healing, Ellen White is not encouraging physicians to encourage their patients to expect miraculous answers to their prayer without cooperating with God's principles and getting them back in line with God's principles. And we're going to see a general theme as we go along here that it seems that it's more important for us to educate our, our patients and to teach them what God's principles are and get them back in, in restoration with that. And that seems to be the, the mode in which he uh, most frequently heals. <clears throat> the sick and suffering will have much more confidence in the physician who they are confident loves and fears God. They rely upon his words they feel a sense of safety in the, in the presence and the administration of that physician. Um, I have found this to be very true in my practice. I guess I'll pause right here and give a little testimony to how I started praying with patients. Um, so I'm a cardiologist, work in the cath lab. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, 
x-ray techs and nurses that are all in their 20s and uh, young people who really didn't, even though it's an Adventist hospital, really don't have much of the way of interest in religion. And I just used to think, hmm, I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't know how to go about doing this. And I didn't really learn how to pray with my patients in medical school, but I was becoming under the conviction that I should do something more, something that answers the spiritual needs of my patients. And I was under this conviction for a while, but I really didn't know how to go about doing it. Um, I had a patient in the cath lab that was transferred, actually came up from um, North Carolina. She had, lived, had been down there on vacation, was flowing up um, for a heart cath. And when we put the catheter into her heart, the left main coronary artery was so tight that just by touching it with the catheter, she just about lost her blood pressure and almost arrested on the table. We were able to pull the catheter out and give her a little atropine and get her stabilized. And at that point, uh, she um, probably needs to go to heart surgery. That was a very unstable situation. And so she wasn't very stable. Her blood pressure was low. We were just trying to keep her stable. We stat paged the surgeon. The whole team was immobilizing from the cath, uh, into the cath lab to get her ready to go back to the operating room. And all this is going to happen and as fast as we can get her out of the cath lab, the better. And uh, within like 10 to 20 minutes. Um, at that point, um, an anesthesiologist at Kettering, who's who is an Adventist, um, came into the room to assess her real quick, and everybody is scurrying around. The place is loud. You can't hear anything. There's not just all the cath lab staff. There's extra people from the other rooms helping us because she's unstable, and now we've got the whole OR coming in there. And right in the middle of us trying to pack her up and get her to the, cath to the operating room as fast as we can, he stops and says, everybody, could you just pause for a moment? I'm going to have a prayer with her. And I stopped and looked and watched, and he had a brief prayer, and um, they whisked her off to the operating room. And I just felt that conviction, wow, why didn't I do that? Um, what was more interesting is the staff that I was so afraid of being embarrassed by was like, wow, that was really cool. And then I was like doubly convicted, like, huh, I'm missing the point here, but I still didn't really know how to do it or feel that comfortable. And it was at that point that I came to um, kind of the organizing meeting for Amen, which is now six or seven years ago. And uh, Pastor Mark Finley gave some good points on specifically how to do that, and we'll touch on it here at the end. And that kind of, I went back from there convicted that I need to start praying with my patients. And I started initially just picking out a patient here or there that I thought had a spiritual interest. And one of the first patients I prayed with, a little African-American lady who had congestive heart failure, um, I offered to have her prayer. And she just got so excited, started praising God right there, wanted to pray right along with me, and just <laughs> said, I'm an elder in my church. I'm going to go back to my church, and I'm going to testify. <laughs> and she was just excited. And I can see this principle right here that patients feel a sense of safety in the presence and administration of a physician who prays. So whether it can be demonstrated in the medical journal or not, I can demonstrate from interactions with my patients that time and time again will just develop tears in their eyes and, and just say this has never happened before that I had a physician that believes in God and prays and um, they're by and large very touched by that experience. Um, about six weeks later, I saw this, I, what I thought was this lady was on the, on the chart to come into the room. And I, as I came into the room, she's sitting in the chair over here, and there's this young lady sitting on the, on, the, on the examination table. 
And I didn't quite remember her name, and I said, oh, what are you doing over here, not up there? She says, oh, no, I'm not here. It's my daughter that's, that's here to be examined. And I said, oh, well, how do you do? I met her daughter, who's like 24 years old, looks very healthy. Um, I start to take a history, so why are you here? Um, well, just get checked out. Okay, well, do you have any heart problems? No. Do you exercise? Yes. Do you ever get chest pain? No. I said, okay, uh, did your regular family doctor refer you here? No, and I finally looked over at the mother, and <laughs> she says, I just wanted my daughter to have a doctor who prays. <laughs> so now I'm trying to figure out what billing code to put down for that, because I've just spent 25 minutes taking a history and trying to figure out if there's any cardiac problem whatsoever, and there's not. <laughs> so. This, if you start praying with patience, it'll be good for business, actually. <laughs> so, Ministry of Healing, page 118. Knowing the Lord Jesus, it is the privilege of the Christian practitioner by prayer to invite his presence in the sick room. Before performing a critical operation, let the physician ask the aid of the great, of the great physician. Let him assure the suffering one that God can bring him safely through the ordeal that in all times of distress, he is a sure refuge for those who trust in him. The physician who cannot do this loses case after case that otherwise might have been saved. If he could speak words that would inspire faith in the sympathizing savior who feels every throb of anguish and could present the needs of the soul to him in prayer, the crisis would often be safely passed. Um, so I'm white. Um, really is pointing out here that um, not only is this going to be beneficial to patients, even though modern science hasn't yet demonstrated that, it's also going to help the physician. Um, and I've found that to be the case over and over, that I just sense, have a sense of uh, a greater confidence, um, a sense that since I've prayed for this patient and I'm going in to do a procedure, um, it, it just makes me want to do my best. And sometimes it'll make me just hang in there when I would have probably given up otherwise. Um, and be able to get results that, that I do think have improved my ability to help a patient. So, Ministry of Healing. Only he who reads the heart can know with what trembling and terror many patients consent to an operation under the surgeon's hand. They realize their peril. While they may have confidence in the physician's skill, they know that it is not infallible. But as they see the physician bowed in prayer, asking help from God, they are inspired with confidence, gratitude, and trust open to the heart, to the healing power of God. The energies of the whole being are vitalized and the life forces are, are um, triumph. Um, this reminds me of another patient I saw. My partner has a patient. Turns out he's a Jewish rabbi and uh, also a scientist, so he's kind of mixed the two. Um, he's retired. He came in with um, complete heart block, and his heart rate was in the 30s and 40s. My partner recommended that he have a pacemaker and told him that he'd like me to go ahead and put it in, but the patient refused. He was just scared to death to have a procedure. Um, so I usually try to meet, meet them. I, if my partner sees the patient and sets them up, I don't go repeat a, a consult or anything, but I usually do just try to come by and tell them what we're going to do. And, meet with them, and it's become now my habit to offer to have a prayer with them. So I came into the room to talk to him, and I said, I understand you don't want this procedure. Let me just go through it real quick, What's, what, what it's going to be like. Um, it's going to take about 45 minutes, uh, what the risks are. And yeah, there's risks that bad things can happen, but it's very unlikely. It's not a major procedure. And, um, but 
he still didn't seem very convinced at all. And, and, I, and I was still feeling my way into this and not sure exactly how to pray with a Jewish rabbi and didn't want to offend him. But I just told him what I've now started doing, which is to say, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is just to have a prayer with them. Is that something that you'd appreciate? And he said, yes. And um, I had a prayer with him and asked that the Lord would help him make the best decision. And if he decided to go ahead and have the pacemaker put in, that uh, God would keep him in his healing hands. And at the end, he says, okay, I'll go ahead and have that procedure done. <laughs> um, we've actually become friends with this guy. Um, my wife, Lindy, and I go out to eat with him and his wife and my physician assistant, um, usually at Panera, twice a year now. And we just talk about theology. And... Uh, Jewish theology from his perspective and Adventist theology from mine, and he's just very impressed with our health message and very impressed with some of the things that we believe. He says, wow, you, what you believe is different than what evangelical Christianity in general believes, and he's finding a lot of similarities. At the very last visit, he told my wife, while I was getting something up at the counter, he says, well, let me tell you what I thought when your husband came in to pray with me. And I pray a Christian prayer. Um, his words were, when he prayed with me, my first thought was, praise God, I've found a doctor who doesn't believe he's God. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> with that, he was willing to go ahead and have the procedure. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't always know exactly what the power of prayer is, but it, it does seem to melt hearts and open up the door in ways that we don't completely understand. So, and as a result of that, he's become very open to talking about all kinds of things theological and is very interested. In fact, um, the last time we met, he made a proposal that he's, he's also a scientist in addition to a rabbi. He's made a proposal that he wants to write a grant so that we can do a study on prayer and, and see if that would make a difference. So, um, it's been very interesting. Okay, so he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might... Uh, send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. So back to ministry of healing. To the physician also the, the Savior's presence is an element of strength. And we talked a little bit about that. Often the responsibilities and possibilities of his work bring dread upon the spirit. The feverishness of uncertainty and fear would make the hand unskillful. But the assurance that the divine counselor is beside him to guide and to sustain imparts quietness and courage. The touch of Christ upon the physician's hand brings vitality, restfulness, confidence, and power. And I've found that to be true. And so in the book of Acts, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and pallets, that as Peter came by, at, the, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. So... Based on our clinical trials, we're not seeing the same sort of result going on. He called to him as 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every infirmity. O oh Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. So in Christ's ministry and the ministry of the early disciples, um, healing, in fact, there's more stories of him healing than there is of him just preaching and teaching. And in some villages, he healed every sick person in that village. In other places, he didn't do much healing because of the unbelief of the people. But Christ used 
healing, the work of a physician, as a great part of his ministry. In fact, probably the dominant part of his ministry. So in some villages, he healed them all. Why did Christ heal disease? I don't know the exact answer, but I don't think it was just to make them physically well. But especially in that day, um, people had the picture of God that God had brought curses on people because of their sins and therefore they were diseased or even the sins of their parents, um, as was the case of the lame man. So I think part of the work of healing in Christ's day was to dispel the myth that disease is a curse of God, that brought, God brings on disease, which was commonly thought. And in fact, you know, I even find this to be true even in our day sometimes. I have so many patients, why is God doing this to me? Or why does God let this happen? <clears throat> and um, I think part of the work of prayer, praying with patients and pointing them to Christ is to also point them back to his character and to really, I think as Adventists, we have the advantage that we have this understanding of the great controversy theme. We know what's going on behind the scenes. So it demonstrated that God hadn't rejected them. In our day with uh, HIV and AIDS and their day with leprosy, it seemed to be a curse from God. Um, society had rejected them and you felt that even God himself had rejected them and certainly to re relieve suffering. So ministry of healing, sickness, suffering, and death are work of an antagonistic power. Satan is the destroyer, God is the restorer. When we enter in with, with God to bring about restoration of health, we're doing his work. It's not God who brings about disease, that's the effect of Satan. The words spoken to Israel are true today to those who recover health of body or of soul. I am the Lord that healeth thee. The desire of God for every human being is expressed in the words, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So, is any sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Scouts probably <laughs> might have saw this patient. They were a little bit farther away when I went to Nigeria for two weeks, not very long. But you just saw so many things that really modern medicine was incapable of healing. And I just saw this young boy, and my heart just went out to him back then and just was... I didn't do it, I didn't really know how back then, I just thought, wow, if anybody needed to be healed, this, this boy did. And you just see time and time and time again, instances like this. And so it just makes you realize how helpless many of the things that we've spent our lifetime learning how to do are really ineffective or not very effective. Um, some have asked me, why should we have sanitariums? Why should we not, like Christ, pray for the sick? that they may be healed miraculously. I have answered, suppose we were able to do this in all cases, how many would appreciate the healing? Would those who were healed become health reformers or continue to be health destroyers? So there seems to be a principle. I, yeah, I mean, I've read the stories of the New Testament and the book of Acts, and sometimes I've thought, why did I even bother going to medical school? Why don't we just get this connection from God where we could just literally go around and touch someone and heal them? be far more effective than what we do, which is little by little restore them back to, to some semblance of health. And by and large, we don't heal any, anyone with our treatments. It's just a, very, a treatment putting a Band-Aid on, um, and ultimately only healing comes from God. But Ellen White seems to be 
painting a picture that um, our number one work is to get people restored back to the principles of life that bring health. And so as I showed the video at the very beginning, um, certainly if this was going to happen time after time, we'd have people flocking to us with every single disease, not looking at all for God's principles, but just looking for miraculous cures. And so I think that's partly why we don't see these huge miraculous cures. We have a different way of doing that today. Jesus Christ is the great healer, but he desires that by living in conformity with his laws, we may cooperate with him in the recovery and the maintenance of health. Combined with the work of healing, there must be an imparting of knowledge of how to resist temptations. Those who come to our sanitarium should be aroused to a sense of their own responsibility to work in harmony with the God of truth. We cannot heal. We cannot change the disease conditions of the body, but it is our part as medical missionaries, as workers together with God, to use the means that he has provided. Then we should pray that God will bless these agencies. We do believe in a God. We believe in a God who hears and answers prayer. He has said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And a rather long quote. Sorry about that. But many have expected that God would keep them from sickness merely because they have asked him to do so. But God did not regard their prayers because their faith was not made perfect by works. God will not work a miracle to keep those from sickness who have no care for themselves but are continually violating the laws of health and make no efforts to prevent disease. When we do all we can in our, in our part to have health, then we may expect that the blessed results will follow. And we can ask God in faith to bless our efforts for the preservation of health. He will then answer our prayer if his name can be glorified thereby. But let all understand that they have a work to do. God will not work in a miraculous manner to preserve the health of persons who are taking a, a sure course to make themselves sick by their careless and attention to the laws of health. Those who will gratify their appetite and then suffer because of their intemperance and take drugs to relieve them may be assured that God will not interpose to save health and life which are so recklessly periled. The cause has produced the effect. Many of, as their last resort, follow the directions of the word of God and request request the prayers of the elders of the church for their restoration to health. God does not see fit to answer prayers offered in behalf of such, for he knows that if they should be restored to health, they would again sacrifice it upon the altar of unhealthy appetite. This also reminds me, well, actually reminds me of two things. I just saw um, last week in the uh, Journal American College of Cardiology, um, two um, cardiologists did a study and are, are recommending that statins should probably be placed as like a condiment at the end of all the fast food joints. <laughs> this is in the medical literature, and it just made me think of this like, this is what we've come to. I want to be able to eat my Big Mac, and uh, then I can just pop a pill at the end that will neutralize the effects of my unhealthy lifestyle. And yeah, if people have carried out a whole habit, a whole lifestyle that they brought this on themselves, it really wouldn't even be fair of God to undo the laws of nature and the, the laws of health to uh, set that aside and then suddenly do that. Now, he, he may do that in certain instances, and I think especially when it's done to restore um, the image of God or an understanding of his character, but that's not generally the way he works. Great multitudes followed Jesus, and he healed them all. Um, the way in which Christ worked was to preach the word, and to relieve suffering by miraculous works of healing. 
But I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way, for Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing claiming to be divine will be wrought. So this goes back to what we, are, what we were talking a little bit about. If all we do is miraculous healings and we don't point people back to the source of healing, to the principles of healing, then we really haven't accomplished anything at all. Let me just tell another one more story of a patient and try to wrap up a few principles here. And then I've asked actually Dr. Chung to give a, a little testimony of an experience or prayer that he had. But I had a patient um, that weighed, um, I think, around 280 pounds. Um, he uh, worked down in Cincinnati. We're up in Dayton. He rode his motorcycle down there. Where, um, and when he came in, he was kind of wearing the motorcycle um, outfit. He had a tattoo. He had a headband on, a leather jacket. And he looked like a pretty rough guy. And at this point, I've come to the point where I offer to pray with every single one of my patients. And so at the, he came in because he'd had an episode of chest pain. We did a stress test. It turned out it probably wasn't cardiac. It sounded very atypical. But he had every risk factor. He had a family history of heart disease. He smoked. I don't remember how much, but a pack or two a day. He was obese. He just ate pretty much fast food. Um, he was at least had the metabolic syndrome. I don't think he was quite diabetic, but his lipids were sky high, and he had high blood pressure. And so I talked to him about these things and how his lifestyle was literally killing him. And even though this episode of chest pain probably wasn't his heart this time, it's only a matter of time before it'll be real. And um, he kind of listened to me, and we talked about, and, and I usually spend about five minutes figuring out what the heart problem is, and then 10 minutes actually talking about lifestyle changes that they can make. And, and you pretty much try to wrap this up pretty quick. But at the conclusion, I said, and one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer with them. Would you appreciate that if, if, if I did that with you? And he got tears in his eyes. Um, he just was almost a broken man just right there. And um, left there just, oh, thank you so much, thank you so much, and was not the hardened guy that came in. Um, about six or eight months, I didn't see him for about six or eight months, but I told him I'd like to see him back one more time just to see what his progress was, and um, I had given him some advice and some places where he could turn, and then told him he ought to get into a support group or church group or something that could help him, and he wasn't at all religious. Um, about eight months later, my nurse handed me my, the chart and said, oh, Stephen's back, and it uh, looks like he's had a great success from his gastric surgery. And I looked at the chart, and I said, I don't remember him going for bypass, gastric bypass surgery. And I looked at it, and so I walked in the room, and I said, Stephen, your weight's down over 100 pounds. Did you have surgery? He says, no, I didn't have surgery. I just started uh, practicing what you told me to do. <laughs> and I said, well, how did that happen? He says, well, you prayed for me. I, it, I had to go home and make those changes. I went and joined a church. He's gotten down almost 100 pounds in just about eight months. He had stopped smoking immediately. This guy applied every single one of the things that I did and he, that I recommended to him. And I, ne I usually just recommend one or two things. I don't want to overwhelm people all at once. Uh, they never, they say, well, I can maybe work on the smoking, but I can't work on changing my diet at the same time. That's just too much you're asking me to do. But this guy impl implemented every single thing. And I told him, well, what, what made that change? And he says, well, it's because you prayed with me. And, and I didn't really see him again. He'd gotten down to his goal weight. He wasn't even close to being diabetic. His blood pressure was normal without meds. Um, I think we did have my little cholesterol medicine because he had family history, but that had come down dramatically, and he was involved with the church. He looked totally cleaned up. Um, he just said his life had totally turned around, and 
Um, about a year and a half later, my wife and I went to this thing that we have in Dayton called a Homerama. In some places they're called Parade of Homes, but home builders will build these fancy houses and there'll be eight of them in one little cul-de-sac and you pay $25 and you get the two or the latest and greatest of houses and all the features in there. And we're walking around these million dollar houses and we walk in the door and this guy opens the door and he's supposed to say, uh, and there's a whole group of people, there's like 20 or 30 of us that have just walked into the front entrance of this great house. And he's supposed to say, this home was built by John Brown, it's $1.2 million, 600,000 square, or 600 square, whatever, 6,000 square feet. It's even bigger than John's house. <laughs> um, 6,000 square feet, and um, it's got this and this and this. But he opens the door, and I didn't quite recognize him at first either, I'm looking around the house. He looks at me and he goes, I know you. Oh, this is my doctor. <laughs> and he starts telling the whole group, this is the guy that changed my life. I was weighing over 280 pounds and diabetic and having chest pain and he prayed with me and it changed my life. This is what he tells all 30 people right there in the room. And if I wasn't convicted that prayer works by then, I certainly am. Um, it's just another example of going out and testifying. Okay, so not every prayer that we pray for healing is, is answered. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through this. Matthew 15 is the story of the, I think, the Samaritan woman who was asking Christ to heal her daughter, and he just seemed to ignore her and just kept talking to his disciples, and she kept pleading with him and kept pleading with them, and finally said even the dogs uh, pick up the crumbs, and he said, oh, I haven't seen such great faith. And go and you're... And, uh, your prayer is heard, basically. So sometimes our prayers are not heard right away. Sometimes they don't seem to be heard at all. There's a story of George Mueller who prayed for the conversion of a friend of his for over 63 years, and he never saw the result. Um, but actually, the day after Mueller died, his friend became converted. We don't always see the answer to our, our prayers. So the point is, is when we feel like the heavens are silent, or like my wife would like to say, like brass, you don't hear any answer at all, what should we do? We should keep praying. Um, often our prayers are selfish, and that's why the Lord can't heal, hear them. And so we need to pray unselfishly. We need to believe that God is listening. He hears every prayer, every humble prayer that is said in sincerity, he does hear. We need to go to the word of God. I don't have time to belabor this too much, but I get a little bit frustrated that we just routinely tack on to the end of every one of our prayers, well, Lord, whatever is according to your will. You know what? I think we can know God's will. At least if we're praying out of the scripture, you know for sure that it's his will. Um, so I think, yeah, the point is we need to be sure that we know what his will is and pray in harmony with his will. But just because we tack that on to the end of a prayer, or if we forget to tack that on to the end of the prayer, um, doesn't necessarily have an effect. And then sometimes we are called to share in the, in the sufferings of Christ. The Apostle Paul prayed many times that this this um, infirmity that he had that may have been affecting his eyes, but the infirmity that he had that he called a thorn in the flesh, um, a buffet that was sent to him by Satan, not by God, but God did not relieve him of that and let, let him suffer. And we are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. So how do you pray with patience? Well, we shouldn't presume. <laughs> this is uh, Pastor Mark Finley and his wife having a little fun in Rome. We just got back from a tour with him as our tour guide. He is really the person that I think crystallized this in my mind as to how to do this. So 
don't coerce your patient. He's not trying to get this Roman guy to pray with him, but that could be one way to do it. But don't presume. Um, we are in a position of power over patients. So if you tell them to go do some natural remedy, they'll probably listen to you. If you tell them to take a drug, they'll probably listen to you. You can impose your values on them, and they're not going to say anything because you're in a position of power. So the way to neutralize that or to equalize that is just to ask their permission. So I always start every prayer by just saying one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? And at first, when they say, had said no, which was a very, very rare, um, I'd kind of stutter a little bit and would be uncomfortable, but I've learned to just be ready to move right on to the next topic and just pretend like it wasn't any big deal. And um, I still have had, I'm not where Neil Nedley is, but I offer to pray with every single one of my patients every single time. And the reason is I can't remember who I prayed for last time, and when I get to the end of the... <laughs> end of the visit, they say, aren't you going to pray for me? It's just easier to just offer to pray with every single patient every single time. I've had one patient leave the practice because they were mad at that. I've had about six or seven patients say, no, they didn't really care um, to have that. I've had dozens of patients say, well, you know, I'm not religious at all, but if that makes you feel good, go ahead. And <laughs> it definitely makes me feel good, so I go ahead. And uh, often they appreciate it. Um, Another thing I think is where do you take them the next step? Um, praying with patients actually almost um, can be a tool in my efficiency of my practice because they know that at the point where I pray, we're done with the medical part. And now we're just moving on with some maybe pleasantries or, or more. But it brings a culmination of the visit. And I use these prayers to highlight what we're going to do. Lord, help them to stop smoking. Help them to get their blood pressure down to start this exercise program. And so it kind of just reaffirms one more way of, of, of uh, emphasizing what we want them to do in the first place. But I think that something that brings a power to anybody's life is to actually not just talk about scripture, but to hear scripture. And so I think it is, if you can point out to a patient God's word and what the power of God's word is, and this is just a couple examples, I think that can be powerful. So why pray? Prayer imparts hope and divine healing. It points to the only source of healing. I already mentioned that it keeps the physician humble, so you can't take the credit for healing a patient when you've just asked the Lord to do that. And um, so it does keep us hum humble, and our patients appreciate that attitude. It goes beyond what is expected. Uh, my friend Kelly pointed this out, that you know what? They expect you to give them a good treatment plan, the right prescriptions, the right treatment, the right surgery. You're obligated to do that as a physician. But when you offer to, do, to pray with them, you're going way beyond what's expected. You're now sharing a part of yourself. And by and large, patients really appreciate that. It opens the door to further spiritual conversations. So just um, two weeks ago, the chief of the fire department for my town, a guy that I would never have any contact with normally, my, unless my house burned down. Um, <laughs> but he comes to me. Like Neil said, he pays to come to me. Um, at the end of praying with him, he just got tears in his eyes. 50% of the patients I pray with have tears in their eyes at the end. He had tears, and this is a pretty tough guy. He had tears in his eyes. And for, until my nurse came and got me out of the room 45 minutes later, he was just bombarding me with questions. Well, how do you really know the Bible's true? Well, do you really think Jesus is coming back and, and when? And then we're having a, basically a Bible study there for 45 minutes while I've got three patients waiting. And um, this has happened twice now. 
where he keeps asking these questions after I have a prayer. And so I've been praying with that man for over four years, and it's only in the last couple of years, only in the last two visits, that he is all of a sudden opening up and starting to ask some spiritual questions and wants to know. So it does. It may not happen immediately, but it leads that seed planted that they know you're somebody that they can have a spiritual conversation with. You can reach people that the church will never reach. I pray with Muslims, with Hindus, with um, all kinds of people, and um, I don't normally rub shoulders with them. I have CEOs of big companies that I would never meet. They live in gated communities, and you would never get, you, you, even if you went knocking on doors, you wouldn't reach them. Um, but they come to my office. Um, people from all across of, uh, walks of life come to my office, and I get to meet with them. Um, I just met with the president and his wife of a Christian college that normally I wouldn't have any contact with, and they were just very, very touched that I would pray with them. So I don't see it a problem with ethics if we respect people's autonomy, that we don't push this on them, um, that we um, don't give them false expectations, but that we point them to the principles of true healing. I don't have a problem with different religions. I do have a lady who's Unitarian or something, she says, well, how are you going to pray? And I said, well, I'm a Christian, so I, I uh, pray in Jesus' name. And she says, well, then you probably shouldn't pray with me. I, I don't pray to a, a male or a female. But, and I said, well, I'll pray my way. You can pray your way. And th the second time around, she says, okay, you can pray. Um, <laughs> the group that most uniformly says absolutely not are Jehovah's Witnesses. But even then, when they don't come with any family members, they'll say, okay. <laughs> They just don't want anybody else to know that they let me pray with them. Um, and I do think by doing this, we have the opportunity to restore a picture of God. Um, this picture was taken from um, the Jesuit church in Rome, dedicated to Ignatius Loyola. Um, as the, the uh, Roman church here is stopping out the Calvin and Luther, basically, here in this, in this picture. It's amazing that it's just openly up there. But as Christians, we aren't going to be relieved of all of our, our suffering, all of our illnesses. We're going to suffer persecution um, as well as the curse of, of sin. And then as I want to close, there are other types of prayer and religious experiences being pushed out there all through evangelical Christianity and making huge inroads into the Seventh-day Adventist church. And that's kind of in what's been termed the emerging church movement. We could do a whole discussion on that, but just be aware that all prayer is not a prayer, <laughs> um, that not all sources of healing are pointing to the true source of healing. And so and there's, in the nursing movement, there's this talk about the healing touch and different things that have their roots back in spiritualism. Um, centering prayer, which is really just emptying yourself of all conscious thought and letting the web of the universe speak to you, which... Uh, um, is becoming very, very popular in, Avent in Adventism, actually, is, is, I believe, a false picture that is taking us back to Babylon. And um, just be aware, as people pray different ways, that it's not all true prayer. I'd like to end just with a testimony that John had shared with me. It's going to be in, actually, our next, our next journal. But uh, I'm going to ask John just to kind of close this out with a, with a testimony that he had of a very miraculous prayer. And then we'll close. I've been having Bible studies um, at our home for oh, about 15 years, every Wednesday night. And, and um, there was one particular person 
comes to our Bible study every Wednesday. And he's a pharmacist. His name is, um, I don't know if I should give all the names. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't give the name. His name is Tracy. <laughs> and, you know, he'd been convicted of the truth and he wanted to keep the Sabbath, but he opens on Sabbath. And, um, and he has a very, very lucrative and very busy practice as a pharmacist. And one Wednesday night, after the Bible study, he said, do you mind coming and praying with one of my customers? I said, okay, what's going on? Well, this patient um, has lung cancer. He has two grapefruit-sized masses in his lung. And the bo it has spread all over his body. And God, I mean, uh, the doctors, <laughs> not God, but the doctor gave him uh, just a few weeks to live. And so do you mind just having a prayer with him? Because he loves this, not just his, this patient, but his whole family. Because his whole family comes to him as customers. And um, so I went over there. It was Friday night, 8 o'clock. Next morning, I was supposed to preach at um, Knoxville, which is about two and a half hours from our house. And um, when I went over there, I was just going to go, you know, I'm going to just pray and just come home. As soon as I went him, he, this guy was a very likable person. But he had 100% oxygen, sitting on a chair. He could not even move from one side of the uh, living room to the other side. And um, he was just short of breath. And, you know, even though they gave him a few, few weeks to live, I thought he was going to just die right there. He was so sick. His wife was sitting there. And, um, and I said, well, I need to do my Christian duty. Just, you know, pray for him. And as I was about to do that, and I prayed. And then I, I asked him, you know, what is your diet like? I know it's kind of too late to talk about diet. But, you know, he said he loves um, pork and sweets and he eats ice cream every single day wow. and I said okay um, I don't think that's a diet that God wants so I told him about three diets in, in, in the Bible number one Garden of Eden diet what was that fruits, grains and nuts right and God gave vegetable after the fall do you know why God gave vegetables I didn't know until I just started studying and I, I started searching the internet about vegetables and the properties. Did you know 50% of our medications come comes from a um, vegetable source? So it actually has healing powers. So God knew by giving vegetables, you know, because there's going to be sin, there's going to be disease. And so I told him, you know, you need to eat that diet, the diet after sin. And he needs to stop ice cream and all those sweets and also the, um, also the um, pork right away. <laughs> but I knew that he was going to die soon. But I just gave him that as a counsel. I wasn't talking to him like that, but more for his wife. Because they have 50 people in their family. 
And uh, they're all praying for him. He said his whole family and his whole church is praying for him. He's a, the pharmacist and he are both uh, Baptists. They're very good, sincere people. Anyway, uh, I went there at 8 o'clock. I came home at 5 in the morning. And we prayed so many times and said the scriptures together. And because I thought this is the last time I'm going to see him. You know, who, who cares about little sleep, you know, lack of sleep. And so I went, and I just completely forgot about him. Three weeks later, Tracy came to me and said, You know, i got to tell you something. What? Mr. Beavers that you went to visit, he went to the doctor yesterday. He has no cancer. None. I go, What? <laughs> no cancer. What's, in fact, right now, as you speak, he's mowing his lawn. And he said he's going to come to our Bible study to give testimony, bring his family. You know, and, um, you know, I've been in so many, um, you know, uh, anointing services and prayer for the sick, and I've never actually seen any healing. <laughs> so that's why I didn't really have much faith, you know, in this. But, you know, according to God's will, there are... 50 potential Adventists because they have been praying for him for two years because they've been doing chemo and radiation for two years and they gave him up because you know no matter what what, what they did was just cancer kept getting bigger and so you know um, through this experience their whole family is convinced about the diet they think it's the diet that did it because they immediately they he stopped eating pork Immediately, he stopped the ice cream and the sweets, and he started going back to plant-based diet. So, you know, um, that's a, a testimony that I can never, um, an experience that I can never forget. Thanks, John. And just before we close then, I just want to make one other point. And that is basically, I've become convicted now that God answers every single prayer for healing that is done sincerely and according to his principles. And the reason we don't see instant healing, we're looking for a different result than he is. God has a plan that he's going to restore everyone to health. And ultimately, in the, in the resurrection, every single person will be healed. So the question isn't whether or not it's God's will that we be healed. It, it is God's will. The question is only as to when. How long do we have to wait? And for most of us, in the big picture of all eternity, that really doesn't make any difference. Um, let's go ahead and bow our heads um, just to close this session. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you that you have called us to be more than just physicians and dentists, but to be medical missionaries. And so even in our practices and our day-to-day -day encounter with patients, we just pray that you would teach us how to share you in ways that they be receptive, that we can point our patients to the true source of healing, and that Jesus can be lifted up. Thank you for the work that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org 
or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.